I, I heard the worship this morning. Wow, it was a beautiful noise. Beautiful noise. And I felt it. And uh, I tried to worship too. But this time I reminded myself, Jeff, don't, don't mess your voice up. Because <laughs> you got to preach. So I didn't sing quite as loud. Maybe that's why I heard you better because I didn't, I didn't make a bunch of noise myself. But it was good. Worship was good. Thank you. But we're going to continue to worship. Is that okay? And, and it may not be with songs, and it may not be with our voices. Maybe it's just my voice this morning as I read the Word. But we're going to continue to worship, and we're going to worship in the Word. So I want you to turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. That's where we started last week. Uh, we got about halfway through the chapter, and uh, man, it was good. We got to see Hannah, right? And we got to see her prayer of praise. She gave God praise, and it was beautiful. I wish I could tell you the rest of this chapter was just that beautiful, but it's not, <laughs> because verse 12 tells us something else. And uh, before I get there, I want to tell you something that happened to me earlier this week, and I actually had to go in and um, put a new beginning to my sermon. So uh, I guess it was Monday morning or Tuesday morning, uh, I, I was a little hungrier than usual, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to eat a big bowl of cereal. So I went in there and I poured me a big bowl of cereal. And, and my wife and my kids can tell you that there's one chair that I sit in at the table. I, I like it. it it's kind of like the king's throne. It's got arms on it. And none of the other chairs do. Um, now, that doesn't mean I'm a king. It just means I think I am. But anyway, uh, I, I, I usually sit in that chair. But for whatever reason, this past Monday morning, I, I just got my bowl and I sat in the other chair. Okay. Uh, it's really the chair that Katie sits in all the time. But when I sat in that chair and I started to eat my bowl of cereal, I looked up on my wall. And Miss Wanda, you may not remember this, but you gave me and Marty a sign quite a few years ago. And that sign has a scripture on it. I want to read that scripture to you. Okay? It's Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, Now fear the Lord... And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And here it is, Ms. Wanda. You gave me a sign with this on it. But as for me... And my household, we will serve the Lord. I looked up at that sign, and I just, I, I tried to eat my cereal, but I couldn't. I have to be honest with you, I poured that bowl of cereal out. I couldn't eat. I looked at that sign, and that sign just, it grabbed my heart. And I really was thinking about this passage of Scripture. So I took this Scripture that meant something to me, this Scripture that God just showed me in writing on my wall at my house, Thanks to someone who gave me a gift, right? And, and so I, I looked at this, and I thought about Joshua. Now, you've got to understand Joshua at that time. In Joshua chapter 24, he was nearing the end of his life, right? When he, when he said this to the Israelites, he was nearing the end of his life, and God had given them this promised land, right? He had given them this beautiful land. But what Joshua looked out and saw was he saw a people who were not honoring God with their lives, and they were not living faithfully to the God who got, got them out of Egypt, who rescued them and redeemed them and gave them all of this beautiful land. He saw people full of sin. And he just, I mean, he let them have it. Sometimes we just, we need somebody to let us have it, don't we? Right? 
just some good, firm love, uh, but discipline and challenge. And he did it. And I want to focus right here. He says, but as for me and my household. See, Joshua couldn't, he couldn't make up the minds of everybody else, but he could make his mind up. And he couldn't take a stand for everybody else in their household, but he could take a stand in his household, and he did it. He said, hey, I don't know what you're going to do, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. That's the choice I make right here, right now. And look, he knew he was nearing the end of his life, but he still made a choice, and he set the stage for his family. And here's what I want you to see today, and we're going to see it in Scripture. We're going to see it in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Each day, we must choose each day whom we will serve. Every day we wake up, we have to wake up and make a choice, whom will we serve? Because we will be tempted each and every day to serve anyone and anything but God. And listen, I'm talking to Christ followers today. I'm really talking to everybody, but I'm really talking to Christ followers today. We have to make a choice every day whom we're going to serve. Because every day, Satan is going to come against us and he's going to tempt us to serve anything and anybody but God. He's going to want you to serve your spouse. He's going to want you to serve your children. He's going to want you to serve your job, your bank account, your hobby, you name it. Satan would be satisfied for you to serve anyone and anything, but don't you serve God. That's Satan. He's our enemy. Do you know what Satan wants to do to you and me and to anybody who bears the image of God, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's always his goal. Even when he tempts you with the pretty stuff, the fun stuff, his goal never changes. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your testimony. That's what Satan wants to do. And so we need to understand today the seriousness, the seriousness of the call to surrender to the Lord in love and in service. It is a serious call, and it is a serious surrender. And I think there are so many, quote-unquote, Christians today who ain't taking the call seriously. They ain't taking the call seriously. They're not honoring and glorifying God all the time. They're honoring and glorifying God when it's convenient or when it's publicly seen. Listen to this. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Just one verse right here. It says, listen, this, this one verse, chapter 12, or verse 12, comes after the first 11 verses that was all praise to God. Verse 12 says, Eli's sons. Do you know who Eli is? He's the priest. He's the priest. He, he, he's the man of God. He's got on the, the priestly clothes. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. That's the word, Right? Some versions say Eli's sons were wicked or Eli's sons were corrupt. They all mean the same thing, right? Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. No regard for the Lord. So let's talk about Eli's sons for a second. Who were Eli's sons? We've already found this out in these first two chapters. Eli's sons were actually servants at the house of the Lord. They served in the church, okay? They served in the temple. Right? And they were servants at the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And Shiloh at this time was the center place of worship for Israel. But we, but we also see this. They disregarded the Lord. They had no regard for the Lord. 
So Eli, he's the priest of God right there in Shiloh. His two sons, right? And we know that their names are Hophni and Phinehas, and we'll see that in just a few moments. But they were there too. They were with Eli serving the Lord, right? Serving the Lord at Shiloh in his temple. But they disregarded the Lord. The Bible says they had no regard. Do you know what that means? In the Hebrew language, that word regard, it means experiential, right? Experiential relationship and knowledge. But guess what? It says they had how much regard? No regard. None. That means they had no experience with the God that they showed people they were serving. They were in the temple, right? Doing temple work, but they had no regard, no regard for the Lord. You know what they did? They chose each and every day to serve themselves. That's who they truly served. And you're saying, Brother Jeff, how do you know that? We're fixing to get to it. Oh, we're fixing to get to it. They took advantage of what is known as the sacrificial system. Now, I'm not going to read all these verses, right? Um, I'm just going to tell you what we find out. Right here in verses 13 through 16 is they took advantage of the people who were coming to make sacrifice for sin at the temple. And so what they were supposed to do was they were supposed to trim the fat, right? And they were supposed to put the best on the altar for the Lord. And the priests, right, and the servants would actually be given some. That was a blessing from God. But here's what was happening. They were saying, you bring us the meat, we'll decide what goes on the altar. So you know what they were doing? They were taking the good stuff that they wanted and they were filling their bellies with it and they were putting the leftovers on the altar and calling it a sacrifice for God. They were doing this, taking advantage of the sacrificial system that was set up. They picked out the best portions of the meat, right, for the priest and for themselves. And you know what else they did? They said, if you don't do it the way we do it, you're going to be punished. So they had power over people that were bringing their sacrifices. And they said, if you don't do it the way we want it, then you are going to be punished. I, I mean, these guys were, well, let me just use the word, scoundrels, right? They were scoundrels. They were wicked and corrupt men. But they were parading around like they were God's servants. Like they servants of the Lord. Listen to this, verse 17. Skip down with me. Verse 17, it says, The sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. They were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Brother Jeff, what does that mean? Well, let's talk about Eli's sons first, right? First of all, we know that they rejected the Lord. Eli's sons rejected the Lord. How do I know that? Because they chose, they chose to take the best for themselves and just throw leftovers on the altar. They knew, they willingly did this, right? They consciously made this choice. And so what that tells me is, is they rejected the Lord. How did they reject the Lord? They rejected the Lord by rejecting His commands. They rejected His ways. If they have no regard for the Lord's ways, they have no regard for the Lord. And so they rejected the Lord. This is one way we need to understand and we need to see our sinfulness. When we are sinful before God, it is rejection of God's commands. It's rejection of God's ways. The word contempt, right, when it says they had contempt, right, the word contempt in Hebrew in this passage, it's the word nas. And that word nas, do you know what it means? It means to revile. 
It means to despise and to reject. So you say, Brother Jeff, how can you say Eli's sons rejected the Lord? Because the word contempt means to despise. It means to reject. That's what it means. So the sons rejected the Lord. Our modern, our modern day definition, if you will, of the word content, uh, contempt, it's this. It means to be willingly disobedient. So if you have contempt for someone, it's willful. It's choosing, right? It's you making a conscious choice. It's not like stumbling into sin. It's not like stumbling into disobedience. It's like, no, I'm running headfirst into it. I've made my mind up. I'm rejecting you. I revile you. I despise you. So I don't want us to miss this point that Eli's sons were scoundrels. (laughs) They were wicked men. They were corrupt. But don't miss this. They were serving in the temple. And when people saw them, they said, oh, yeah, that's, that's Eli's boys. They're servants of the Lord. Parading around like they belonged to God when, in fact, they had no regard for God. What does that mean? That, may, that means they had no experiential relationship with him. No experiential relationship with him at all. Sin is serious. Amen? I, I'm going to say this till I get till I like it. Sin is serious. Amen? Sin is serious. Amen? I, I, I hope. I hope you believe what you just amen. Listen to this. So we got this picture of Eli and his sons. But we also know that the name of the book is First Samuel. And so there's this guy Samuel that, that probably is a little important. Listen to this. Verses 18 through 21. It says, but Samuel. Right? So it's like we heard this prayer of praise from Hannah. And it's like, man, I want to be like that. And then... We read verse 12, Eli's sons were scoundrels, and we're like, wait, what happened to the praise? (laughs) We're talking about scoundrels, okay? And then we go back to this. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. And an ephod was like a linen garment that they would wear. It was a sign of their service in the temple to the Lord. So he was wearing this. It says, each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying, may the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. All right, now, I'm going to tell you, scholars, they believe, and I tend to believe with them. We don't know at this point, does Samuel, is he actually in a personal relationship with God through repentance of sin and faith in God? We don't know yet. But what we do know is that he is in the presence of the Lord, and he has the opportunity, right, the opportunity to personally be in a relationship with God. He does. And so he's in the right place, right? And, and, and he's there. And, and so it says Samuel ministered before the Lord. What did Hannah? She made a vow to God, right, that she would give Samuel back to him to do what? To serve him. And that's what ministering to the Lord means. He's serving the Lord. Even as a young boy, we don't know how old he is. We don't know how much time has passed from the first 11 verses to verse 12 and then now to verse 18. We don't know how much time, but we do know that he was possibly and probably still a a young boy because it said that Hannah made her son a little robe, right, to wear 
as he was serving. So we believe he's a little boy. But that Hebrew word for ministering, it's the word sarat. And that word sarat means the highest level of worship. So what it means is, is that Samuel, his ministering to the Lord, it was of the highest level. In other words, he was trying his best to please God in what he was doing. He was putting God first. That's pretty awesome that he was doing that as a young boy. His service in the house of God there at Shiloh, it was, in, it was very important to him. And the Bible says that Eli, right, he saw Elkanah coming, he saw his wife coming, and he recognized and knew who they were. And it says that the Lord blessed Elkanah's family and was gracious to Hannah. Eli said, may the Lord bless you. Eli said, hey, may the Lord give you more children because you kept your vow and you gave this son back to the Lord. I pray he gives you more. And what we see is that Elkanah was blessed. And his wife, Hannah, she experienced the grace of God. How? God opened up her womb again. And she bore children. Now, we don't know. We don't know. I wish, like I said, I wish we heard more from Hannah, but we don't, we don't hear from Hannah again. We only see her sporadically here. And so we don't know if Hannah prayed for more children. It's very likely she did. But we don't know that. But what we do know is that God opened up her womb anyway. Right? Whether she prayed for it or not, God said, I'm going to do for you. And so he opened up her womb, and she had more children. It was by grace that this happened. It was not merited, right? It was unmerited. It was God doing a work to her and through her. It was a gift. Hannah experienced graciousness from God. So we got Eli and his scoundrel sons, and then we come back to Elkanah and Hannah, and we come back to Samuel. And so we're getting really... We're getting really good at seeing what I call comparison and contrast, comparison and contrast, right? We're, we're seeing some, some likenesses, but we're seeing some great differences. So let's jump back into that. Because if you look at verses 22 through 26, and I'm not going to read all these verses, but I'll explain to you. Old Eli, the priest, he catches ear about his sons. He hears about his scoundrel sons. He hears about what they're doing. Not only does he hear about what they're doing with the sacrifices, he now finds out that they are committing sexual sin with prostitutes. So yeah, they've prostituted themselves. And he rebukes them. But here's the thing we find out about Eli. He rebukes his sons, but he does not stop them in their tracks. He does not punish them. He, he only rebukes them. He says, how could you do that? Shame on you. It's kind of like, man, when, 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 when my daddy or mama had to get on to me, I liked it when they said, you shouldn't do that, and they would do this. Like, I'm cool with that. It's when daddy came in that house and pulled that belt off that Jeff was like, mm, I don't want to do that no more, right? It was a little more serious when the belt came off. But, you know, just did a little pat on the hand. Eh. And that's kind of what Eli did here. Right? He, 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 theologians like to call what Eli did in this passage was rebuke without consequence. Rebuke without consequence. I can't believe you did that. You shouldn't have done that. Now get out of here. <laughs> well, okay. They're going to keep doing the same old thing. And so 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 25 says, listen to this. This is so important. It says, if one person sins against God, this is his rebuke. And he's, he, listen, he is right. His rebuke is right. He says, if one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. 
But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. For it was the Lord's will to put them to death. I'm going to say this again. Sin is pretty serious, isn't it? Amen? It's pretty serious. And what we see in this passage is that Eli recognizes the sinfulness. He even rebukes it with truth. He's like, hey, listen, if you sin against me, we can get a mediator and work this out. But if you sin against God, who's going to mediate for you? Who's going to mediate for you? And so because of our sin, this is a very important lesson that we can learn from this passage. Because of our sin against God, we need someone to intercede for us. We need an intercessor. And listen to me. His name is Jesus. We need Jesus. Listen to me. I need Jesus every day. I need Jesus every hour, every minute, every second. I need Jesus. Yes, I need Jesus as Savior, but I need Jesus as intercessor too. Because even though I'm saved and I'm a child of God, I can fall flat on my face in sin. I can wallow around in it. I can even enjoy it until the Holy Spirit convicts me, convicts me and says, hey, you're wrong. And then my heart says, ooh, and I want to repent. I want to turn from my sin and turn to God. I need an intercessor. The Bible says sin is serious. How do you, how do you know that? Because it says in Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And I do believe that to be twofold. I believe that to be physical death, and I believe that to be spiritual death. I do. I believe it. Paul says this to Christ followers in Romans 8, 34. He says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Let me just tell you something. I thank God for Jesus Christ. I thank God for the Holy Spirit who convicted my heart and I repented of my sin and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I thank God that I'll never have to spend an eternity in hell and that I'll get to spend an eternity in heaven. But I also thank God for Jesus Christ who intercedes for me right now at the right hand of God. I I thank God for my intercessor. I know who Jesus is. He is my Lord, He is my Savior, and He is my intercessor. I know that, and I'm so thankful for that. But I want to tell you something. This is not blanket coverage for sin. This is not blanket coverage for sin. Listen, this is not saying everybody who sins gets Jesus as intercessor. That is not what Paul said. You know who he was talking to? He was talking to Christ followers who had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who had surrendered their heart in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking to. So if you reject the Lord and you reject God and you reject His ways and His commands, and if you do it the way you want to do it, with no conviction, no Holy Spirit dwelling in you, listen to me, you ain't got an intercessor. You ain't got one because you rejected the intercessor. His name ain't on you, and your name ain't in him. So you don't have an intercessor. That's why I'm trying to tell you, sin is serious. It's serious in the lives of Christ followers, but oh my, it is so serious in those who don't know Christ. 
Because if they die in their sin, they will face the wrath of God and they will die eternally in hell forever and ever. They'll be separated from God. His love, His grace, and mercy forever and ever and ever. Sin is serious. And if you're a Christ follower, it's still serious for you too. And we see that in Eli and we see it in his sons. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Do you hear that? Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Listen to me. Jesus doesn't intercede for me because I preach 20,000 sermons in my lifetime. Jesus doesn't intercede for me because I put on a coat or a priestly robe. Jesus doesn't intercede for me because I tithe. Jesus doesn't intercede for me because my mom and daddy go to church. Jesus intercedes for me because I repented of my sin and I surrendered to him as Lord of my life. That's why he intercedes for me. You can clap. Give God clap. Yeah. And so let me remind you of what the Bible tells us. Eli's sons rejected the Lord. They rejected him. That means we don't want you. It's saying we don't need you. We can do it ourselves and we'll do it the way we want to do it. But thank you for the road. Thank you for these people being so naive that they believe I love them and I'm for them. I'm going to take advantage of that. See, that's what a scoundrel does. That's what a wicked and evil person does. That's what a corrupt person does. Takes advantage of other people because they don't serve the Lord, they serve themselves. And so, guess what their wages was for their sin? Death. That's a pretty tough verse to read, by the way. The end of verse 25, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. You made your mind up. You made your mind up. Mm, mm, that's tough. Now, what happens, before I get to this next passage, what happens is, after Eli rebukes his sons with no punishment, <laughs> right? Well, he rebukes them, but no consequence. What happens, the Bible says a man of God came to Eli, right? In verse 27, it says a man of God came to him. We don't know who that man of God is. If somebody says, oh, it was Samuel, I'm sorry, <laughs> they're, they're thinking it might be. But we don't know. We don't know. Actually, more theologians than not don't believe it, Samuel, because it says a man of God, and Eli was still a young boy. So most theologians don't believe it was Samuel. They believe it was a man of God, unnamed. Here's the thing. It don't matter. It was God's messenger at the right time. But he came, and he prophesied against the house of Eli. He said, Eli, the sin is serious. The surrender to God, the call of God is serious, and you and your sons have not treated it that way. Listen to this, beginning in verse 30. It says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, he's talking to Eli. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me, now remember the word despise, no regard, it means to what? To revile, to despise, to reject. To reject. So he says, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me, 
right? Which means to reject me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. You tell me sin's not serious, huh? Tell me sin's not serious. I'm going to tell you, you better go read 1 Samuel chapter 2. Every one of you, look at verse 33. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength. And all your descendants, how many? All your descendants will die in the prime of life. Mm. I wish I could go back and read verses 1 through 11 real quick for you. But I've already preached that sermon, so let's keep going. Verse 34. Verse 34. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas? It will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. In other words, right? Somebody to serve the heart of the Lord, not the heart of self. We talk about that on Wednesday nights in the barbarian way. Are we going to fight for the heart of the king or are we going to fight for our own heart? He says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so that I can have food to eat. Let's go back. Eli offered rebuke with no consequence. He offered rebuke with no punishment towards his sons. And so in doing it that way, Eli honored his sons more than he honored God. Do you hear me? He honored his sons more than he honored God. He told them a half-truth, which is, guess what? A whole lie. He told them a half-truth, and it's a whole lie. He said, you know what? I'm going to take care of my sons and keep doing what I'm doing. And God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. You honor your sons more than you honor me. That means you despise me. I will not honor that. Because what did God say? If you honor me, I'll honor you. But if you despise me, you will be disdained. You're going to face punishment. So here it is. Eli's family loses its priestly privilege. And I say privilege because he didn't earn that. It was given to him by God. He loses his, it, his whole house. It loses its priestly privilege. And the Bible says his descendants will die in the prime of life. What's the wages of sin? Death. Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. I'm not making this up, y'all. Okay? I don't care what you think about me when you leave this place. I just want you to know what God says. Sin is serious. We better start taking it serious. We better start understanding that God ain't our buddy on high. He is Almighty God on high. That's who He is. And we're children. That's who we are. And so it says, right, that you'll lose your priestly privilege. Your descendants will die in the prime of life. 
You want to know something? When God makes a promise, He keeps it. In the Bible, we always like to focus on them good promises, right? I'm going to have food to eat. I'm going to place to sleep. We, we like them good promises. But you know what? There's other promises in the Bible too. We like to kind of go over those, don't we? Skip over them about the whole sin is serious thing. I'm going to dab a little bit over here, and then I'll just come to the altar and pray. It'll be good. <laughs> Paul has a word about abusing God's grace. I'm not going to go there because that would be a whole long sermon. But I think a lot of times that's what we do. We abuse God's grace. We think, oh, God's got abundant grace, which means I can just abundantly sin. You don't know the God that I know if that's your train of thought. You ain't reading the Bible that I read if you think you can just keep on sinning because God's got a bunch of grace. You need, that's not experiential relationship with God. It says Hophni and Phinehas will die on the same day. You know what that is? That's a sign of validation. It's a sign of validation. Um, when you go to big cities, right, when you go to these big cities like New Orleans or New York or wherever, and, and, and you want to try to find parking, sometimes you can go to these places, and it'll say if you'll shop in, our, in, in these places, right, uh, your, your parking is free, right? But, but what do you do? You have to do something. You have to validate. You have to validate that you actually did what you said, right? So what happens is you get a receipt, and what the person tells you is, is this, this is your validation. So then when you go to get your car, right, it's validated. Right? You, you did what you said you were going to do. You did what you said you were going to do, so we're going to do what we said we we're going to do. We're going to let you get out of here for free. God told Eli, you're going to lose your priestly privileges, your whole house. You're going to lose it. He didn't tell him when. He didn't say you're out of here right now. He just said you're going to lose it. Your family will not be priests before ever again. And your sons are going to die on the same day. So what happens is Hophni and Phinehas, they're going to die on the same day, and that's God's validation of judgment. It's like the stamped receipt. Here you go. That promise I made you about you not serving, right, and your house not serving anymore, here's the validated receipt. Your sons are going to die on the same day. And guess what? We're fixing to get to it. I hope you come back for that message because we're going to see it. They're going to die same day. When God makes a promise, what does he do? He keeps it. Eli is going to personally see the judgment of God upon his house. But we see something else beautiful, right? We see, we see a devastating promise, but we also see a great promise. Because God says, I will raise up, right? God will raise up a faithful priest to serve and to minister. Now, again, I'm not going to try to read between lines. I'm not going to try to tell you something that ain't written in the Bible. But I do love to listen to scholars debate. And scholars debate about this all the time. Some people say that this is a reference to Samuel, Right? that God's going to raise Samuel up as the next priest. He does raise Samuel up as the next priest, but we don't know if he's talking about Samuel right here. Most theologians, most theologians believe that he's talking about Zadok and the house of Zadok. Now, you're going to say, Brother Jeff, who is Zadok? Well, if you read the Bible and you read about David and Solomon, Zadok is the one who served as the priest when Solomon was king, at the tail end of David's kingship, Right? So most theologians believe that's possibly who they're talking about. But here's the thing. I don't care. I don't care if it meant Samuel or Zadok. All I care about is God made a promise, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to keep it. So there will be a faithful priest in the temple. There will be. You want to know why? Because God said it. God said it. And so what happens to Eli? And we see it right here at the end of chapter 2. Eli's house becomes beggars. They become beggars of both food and service before the Lord. The judgment 
and the punishment of the sins of Eli and his sons is severe. Why is it so severe? Because what is serious? Sin is serious. I'm going to ask you again. Is sin serious? How do you know? Because God said it. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mike. Because God said it. Somebody over here said Because God said it. That's right. Not because Brother Jeff preached it or because Brother Jeff says it or believes it. God said it. And God didn't just say it. He showed it, didn't he? He showed it to us. He showed it to us. Man, I love it when the Scripture just comes alive, right? Like when it just comes alive, right? I love that. And so I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you two questions. I always say I want to ask you a question, and God says, well, ask another one. So, so I'm, going to ask, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the truth. I'm going to ask you two questions. I was going to ask one, but God said ask two. So that's what I'm going to do. All right, number one, have you made the choice today? Have you made the choice today to serve God or to serve fill in the blank? Have you made a choice today? Let me go ahead and give you the answer. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. See, I asked you a question with only one answer. Yes, you have. You've made a choice. The part that's the question is, have you made the choice to serve God today or or yourself or your family? Hey, you know what else? Have you made a choice today to serve your church? Because I'm going to tell you, that can get in the way of serving God. Ask Eli. Ask Eli. Well, never mind, he can't tell you. But God's Word can. Sometimes our service to the church can become our God. And we break fellowship with God. We don't have fellowship with God. And then we suffer. We suffer. Because we're doing things for the wrong reason. And we're doing things with the wrong kind of heart. Have you chosen today to serve God? I pray you have. And if you haven't, you have chosen to serve something or someone. And you know what it all comes back to? Self. If you've chosen to serve your spouse over God, it's about you. Don't don't call it about your spouse. It's about you. If you've chosen to serve your job and your bank account before you've chosen to serve God, it ain't about your job and it ain't about your bank account. You know what it's about? It's about you. It all comes back to your heart. Your heart. You trying to keep what you want and give God what's left. If you give God anything. So the next question I think is the most important question. Today, have you repented of your sin and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as Messiah. Not only that, as intercessor. See, I'm going to tell you, if I had a notebook, well, I'd probably have to have two or three. But if I had a notebook from January 1st up to this day, I have sinned. I have sinned. In my mind, in my heart, with my hands, with my eyes, I've sinned. If I had a notebook or two, I could fill it up. I could fill it up with my sin. It's so easy not to take sin seriously. It's so easy just to hide behind the grace of God. Oh, God's got grace for me in this. I'll go to the altar Sunday morning and repent. It'll be all good. You better check your heart. You better check your heart. Because that, like, that don't sound like faithfully serving the Lord. That sounds like faithfully serving yourself and expecting the Lord to do you a favor. And I'm just saying that because I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Don't think because I got a coat on here, I'll do you a favor. I'll take this coat off, okay? That coat don't mean I'm a preacher. Fancy clothes don't mean I'm a preacher. 
If I sin before God, it's me and my heart that's the problem. I ain't going to point no fingers at nobody. It's me and my heart that's the problem. I do thank God, though, that I know Jesus Christ personally as my Lord and Savior. And that when that Holy Spirit convicts my heart, I turn to God. And I don't want this sin no more because I know how serious it is. And I don't want it no more. God, I want you. I want fellowship with you. And so have you repented of your sin? And I'm not talking about just that first time when the Spirit truly opens up your heart and mind and you can see Jesus and know that He died for you and you embrace Him. Listen to me. I repented this morning before I got to church. Yeah. Before I got out of the bed and got in the shower, I said, Lord, uh, I thought this yesterday. Lord, I said this to somebody yesterday. Oh, yeah, I repented this morning. I'm going to tell you what. Before I see you tonight at 6 o'clock, Lord willing, I'm going to have to repent again. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure because I know me. I ain't perfect. I thank God one day I will be because I have an intercessor who says, Lord, that one's on me. God, that one's on me because I know him. He's my child. His blood is my blood. My blood is his. He belongs to you because he came through me. He didn't come through his coat or his position or his family on earth. He came through me. That's the Lord interceding for me before Almighty God. He's ours. He belongs to us, God. I got him covered. I'm going to tell you, Knowing that Jesus is my intercessor, knowing that he's doing that for me, I don't want to abuse his grace. I don't want to abuse it. I just want to thank you for it, God. And when I need it, oh, yes, I want it. But, you know, it's a choice, isn't it? It's a choice that we have to make. And just like Joshua, he he made that charge today. Me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. I believe he had to make that choice every day because he knew. He knew the enemy was going to, Satan was going to tempt him, tempt his kids, tempt his grandkids. He knew it. And so I believe each day he had to wake up and say, hey, today I'm going to serve the Lord. So here's the question, right? Who are you serving? Because you're serving somebody. You're serving God or you're serving self. Let's just make it real easy. You're serving God or you're serving self. If you're serving self, and you never truly served God, and maybe it's because you never truly repented of your sin and gave God your heart in the first place. Maybe you paraded around in church clothes like Eli's sons. Maybe you even came to this place of worship. Not Shiloh, but Start. I think Start's better, but that's just me. Right? Maybe you just came to this place, Start. Maybe you even walked into the building called Start Baptist Church. And by the way, it's just a building. That's all it is. But, but it is, I believe it's a holy place because it's God's place. It's God's house. Okay? But maybe you walked in here and you just thought, since I'm here, I'm good with God. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because what did Hebrews, I read it to you. What did Hebrews say? You had to come through Him. And Him is capital H. I'll take Him out and place it with a proper noun. You got to come through Jesus. It ain't about this place that will make you right before God. It's about the man, Jesus Christ. Have you repented of your sin truly? Turned your heart around from sin because it, you don't want it anymore and you realize how serious it is. You turn to God because you know God loves you and you know God has covered you with His grace. His name is Jesus. Have you truly repented and truly accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and is He interceding for you today? He can and He will 
And I hope he is.